thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran. This is the Fighter Pilot Podcast, Episode 2. This week, U.S. Navy Captain Brian Ferguson and I are talking call signs. Kick it. What's up, everybody? This is Vincent Aiello, host of the Fighter Pilot Podcast. Welcome to Episode 2. I'm glad you made it this far. Uh, and if you're just starting on Episode 2, I recommend you go at least back to Episode 0 and check that out, and then maybe even Episode 1. But thanks for sticking with me, if you have, and uh, hope you've enjoyed it. You know, something I meant to say at the beginning of this whole process, and it's probably evident, is the Fighter Pilot Podcast as a name, I, you know, I had bounced around a couple different ideas and ended up with that and uh, just thought it kind of rang nicely and uh, gets the point across when you when you see the title. But as you know, uh, this is the show that explores the fascinating world of air combat. And so we're talking not just about fighter pilots. We're going to talk about bomber and attack and cargo pilots. We're going to talk about air crew that are not the pilots, but that ride along, and really the whole team. Uh, we're going to talk about weapon systems and aircraft systems, uh, aircraft carrier operations. Maybe someday we'll talk about the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds. So we're really going to explore the whole world of air combat, and I, I hope you enjoy it. And as I've said already once, if you've got ideas or suggestions, please submit them, and maybe we can take the show in your direction as well. Well, in episode one, Sunshine and I talked a lot about constructive feedback, and I had even asked for some of that in uh, episode zero. And I'm glad to say I've already received some uh, got some feedback that I tend to say the same words or phrases sometimes too many times, uh, like I just did. So I'll work on that. I think I said the short answer in episode one like four different times within a minute or two. So I'll work on that, as well as ums and ahs and other audio sins. Again, I'm looking to improve best I can, and I appreciate your patience in these early episodes as we continue to do that. All right, well, this is the part of the show where we do some questions and answers. And I do have one from Andy in Livermore, California. He asks, do you always fly around armed with bombs and missiles? And no is the answer. Now, a caveat to that, uh, since 9-11 and during the Cold War, uh, there are aircraft on alert on different places in the United States. Uh, it's called Operation Noble Eagle, and generally they're not flying around unless they're called for, but those aircraft are specific for national defense. Now, when we're just doing our training, which is 99% of the flying that we do uh, domestically, overseas is a different story, but uh, you know, we're training, we may have an external fuel tank, which is that big gray, people always ask, is that a bomb? Uh, no, that's an external fuel tank that could theoretically be dropped if necessary, but I've never, I never did drop one in over 3,000 hours of flight time. So uh, generally, that's just uh, an external store that you care for, carry for some extra fuel. And depending, if you're going out to a practice target range and you might have some practice bombs, like Sunshine talked about in episode one, 
you know, you'll be loaded with those, but that doesn't mean they're going to load missiles and bullets and everything else. It really depends on what you're doing. And in the few occasions where we might have actual live ordnance, because maybe we're doing a practice missile shoot or we're dropping some live bombs, which we do periodically for our training and for the benefit of the crew who have to load it and make sure everything works. Well, then we try to avoid, of course, uh, flying over populated areas, and we're only dropping those ordnance, uh, those bombs, I should say, or shooting those missiles in prescribed areas. So, uh, for example, about uh, 100 miles east of Reno, Nevada, uh, outside of the town of Fallon, is a is a big training complex for the Navy, and they have several ranges there where you can drop up to 2,000-pound live bombs. And then out over the ocean, and also in the uh, China Lake area we talked about before, there are various parts of the airspace system that we can use, you know, free of any commercial airplanes uh, to do missile shoots and uh, whatnot with actual missiles. Sometimes the warhead is inert, and sometimes it's a no-kidding live missile that you could have used in combat. So, no, we generally do not, uh, and on the occasions that we do, it's typically an exception, and we have rules for when you can and cannot uh, arm the uh, safety switch, if you will, so that we try to mitigate any risk of inadvertent uh, droppage. And you do hear about it from time to time. I think several years back, there was a F-16 in New Jersey that accidentally strafed a school at night instead of the target. So mistakes do happen, but thankfully they're few and far between, typically because of the professionalism of the uh, people involved. All right, so that's my only question for this week. As before, if you have a question you'd like to be covered on the show, have covered, uh, you can submit it via email or phone. And those uh, numbers, if you will, and email address are on the, uh, the on the outro at the end of the show here. All right, let's get into the interview with uh, Ferg. We're going to talk call signs. Uh, still working on some audio stuff, so bear with me. Uh, I'm sitting at a desk here in my room with no sound paneling on the walls. So, you know, we're trying to do our best with that. Appreciate your patience. And I don't know if I uh, fed some peanut butter to uh, Ferg the day we uh, made this recording. It's been several months now, actually. Uh, but we both smack our lips a lot. And I might do that anyway. I'm not sure. But uh, he and I did that day, and I, I'm not sure why. So apologize for that. Uh, just try to bear with us. We'll keep getting better, and hopefully I'll you know, work out a lot of these bugs as we go on. But enjoy this discussion on call signs, and we'll uh, cover a few extra explanation items on the backside. All right, let's go. Okay, today on the Fighter Pilot Podcast, we are talking call signs. And to help me do that, we have fighter pilot extraordinaire and funny guy, Captain Brian Ferguson, United States Navy. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for acknowledging the funny part. Nobody ever gets that. No? Well, you are. I've known you long enough. All right. So before we get into it, uh, if you would, give us a little background on you so the listener can get to know you, where you're from, where you went to school, what you did in the Navy, and what's going on. So I am originally from Sarasota, Florida, and I went to school in Florida at uh, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, a flying school where I met my wife. Joined the Navy right out of there, did all the standard uh, work up to Navy training to tactical fighters, flew the F-18. I was a West Coast F-18 guy, uh, flew that for about seven or eight years, and then I went to uh, fly the F-5 Tiger as an adversary uh, pilot in Fallon, Nevada, and did that for about uh, four years as an active duty pilot, and then I uh, went to the reserves, did that for about six years, commanded the squadron, and then uh, at that point, you're uh, your reserve flying career kind of comes to a 
an end as a reservist, and now I'm doing a reserve work for the Naval Aviation Warfighting Development Center. Okay, so you're not flying anymore? No. Oh, bummer. All right. Well, you're still wearing a flight suit, and I see your name tag there says FERG. What does that mean? What is that? So uh, as we're talking about call signs, that would be my call sign. Uh, What is a call sign? So call signs in the Navy are um, basically what we call each other, sometimes on the radio, mostly in the ready room. Uh, Instead of using first names, last names, uh, it's sort of akin to a nickname. um, And it's typically something that uh, you have gained by doing something stupid. In my case, thankfully, uh, and is, is your case as well, they are plays on our names. So my last name is Ferguson, so that is shortened to Ferg. Okay, so a, a call sign is essentially just a nickname we call each other. As, yeah, pretty much. As if we're just grown-up boys and girls. Yeah. All right, well, how does a pilot get a call sign? Well, there's a number of different ways that you can get a call sign. Uh, sometimes it's a, a physical appearance thing. Uh, we had a guy in my last squadron whose uh, call sign was Chet because he looked exactly like the big brother Chet in Weird Science. It was hilarious. <laughs> I knew a guy named Link. I think you knew him too. He, uh, You took one look at him and you realized that he was the missing evolutionary Link. Big knuckle-dragging, bloodshot eye, monosyllabic caveman type. Um, I know a guy named Buddha, which stands for Big Ugly Dumb Animal. You'd have to kind of see him for that to make sense. But he looks like a big, ugly, dumb animal. Uh, there are, uh, acronyms, which are, uh, typically fairly funny. Um, for example, uh, there was a guy named Coots constantly overemphasizes own tactical significance. Um, Tyke thinks I know everything. <laughs> okay. So hold on though. So a guy isn't going to just show up at a squadron and say, Hey, everybody, my name is Tyke. How's it going? Uh, he shows up probably with some sort of cool call sign he gave himself in flight school. Yeah. And his very first squadron, everybody says, no, we're not having any of that. So what, what generally happens when a new pilot shows up at a ready room? Well, if you show up at the ready room with a self-imposed call sign, uh, you know, spine ripper or devil or demon or something that you think is really cool, that's typically the fastest way to get your call sign changed. Uh, and it's usually, you know, predominantly, the way that we get call signs in the Navy is doing something dumb. Um, we had, uh, I'm sure you're familiar, and maybe some of your listeners from the last episode might know about uh, when we do high-speed intercepts in fighter aircraft. They start way out at range using the radar, but ultimately they end up in the visual arena. Well, if you remember, we used to have the um, the rules for keeping airplanes from hitting each other where there was a fighter even bogey odds. So the fighters would be at even altitudes approaching the visual arena, and the bogeys or the bandits would be at odd altitudes. So if everybody was at their assigned block of altitude, chances are nobody was going to hit anybody else. But there was a pilot in Fallon who came in as a bogey at an even altitude and caused the midair. Thankfully, nobody was killed, so we can kind of laugh about it. So his call sign from then on was Phoebe, or fighter even, bogey even. Uh, and the more he tried to change that, the more it stuck, and that forever for the rest of his time in the Navy was Phoebe. Um, I've had guys uh, say they hate a call sign. That is the surest way to gain permanent recognition of that call sign throughout the entire Navy is by saying that you don't like a call sign, because that's kind of how we operate. If you don't like something, we're going to do it more. <laughs> so does it work in the opposite? If you say you love a call sign, do they switch it on you? Uh, no, because we figure that out and then we just keep doing the same thing. So it's uh, <laughs> whatever is going to irritate the person the most is what we'll do in the Navy because we have thick skin and uh, we kind of eat our young. There was uh, 
another guy uh, who was in a low altitude strafing pattern out in Yuma. And when I say low, I mean low. He skipped off the earth. Uh, that was skip. Uh, his call sign skip. He tied the low altitude record, survived, jumped out of the airplane. He hit the ground, hit but the ground, kept flying, kept flying wow. for a little bit. Eventually, you know, he stopped flying. You smash an airplane into the ground and it's kind of bad for it. But uh, so his call sign was skip. Uh, there was a guy who got his foot caught in a propeller in flight school, tore it all up. His call sign became chum for chum <laughs> in the water. Uh, pretty brutal, rude, horrible things we do to each other. But, you know, that's that's kind of the nature of being a fighter pilot is if you can't handle that kind of abuse, you should probably be doing something else for a living. Yeah. Okay, so you're saying a call sign is a nickname. It gets bestowed on you at some point, probably earlier in your early in your career. Either because if you do something stupid, which most new pilots seem to do, or if you have a physical resemblance of somebody or something, or possibly as a play on names, like you said. Um, and so, you know, what, what do we use these things for? What is it just? Well, uh, you know, it's kind of a, like I would use that to address you in the ready room. I wouldn't use your first name or your last name. Um, when we're doing debriefs or we're doing lineups on a card, we use call signs. We don't use last names typically. Um, it's, it's an efficiency based model, but it's more just cause it's way less boring than using first names. Um, you go into the, uh, you know, the, uh, the lift squadrons, the guys that fly the C forties, the seven thirty sevens for the Navy, things like that. A lot of them don't have call signs. Uh, it's more of a tactical thing. The helicopter guys, their call signs are, really just their first name. And, and that's kind of lame. Uh, nothing against helicopter guys. I love them when I'm, you know, in the water and it's dark and I'm cold and wet because I had to jump out of an airplane. But uh, as call signs go, those guys haven't really cornered the market, but you're right. It's typically a result of doing something stupid. Uh, I think you remember uh, soft D S O F dash D cause he was supersonic over Fallon. So they named him soft D supersonic over Fallon dipshit. <laughs> Sometimes it's a play on your last name. Uh, we had a guy in the squadron whose last name was Emmy, E-M-M-E. So we gave him the call sign of Stick It. Stick It Emmy. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> you so, may have to edit that out later. <laughs> so call signs can be derogatory or graphic or sexual, frankly. Huh? Yeah. The list that I came up with, uh, I would say 90% of it I can't use on this podcast. Uh, those are the funnier ones. But uh, typically they're derogatory and they're... Uh, uh, they're not suitable for family uh, discussion. I see. So if you have a last name of strong, wise, or sharp... You're, you're going to be not so. You're going to be not so yeah. strong or not so wise or not so sharp. Okay, I got it. So I see a trend here. You're, we're kind of keeping the man down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's a, humili- a humility-based uh, organization, pretty much. Uh, you got to dish it out, and you got to be able to take it. And like I said, if you say, I hate that, don't call me that, you are guaranteed to be called that for the entire time that you're in the Navy. If you've always dreamt of a career in aviation while keeping your feet on the ground, then Air Corps Aviation is the place for you. Since 2008, Air Corps Aviation has been at the forefront of modernizing the airworthiness of legacy aircraft dating back to World War II. Their dedicated team specializes in numerous aerospace disciplines, including manufacturing, fabrication, restoration, and support, all while incorporating state-of-the-art technology. In 2024, Air Corps Aviation is expanding its team with job openings in engineering and computer-aided design, quality, fabrication, and restoration. Live where others vacation in northern Minnesota while enjoying paid time off, health insurance and savings accounts, retirement plans, life insurance, and best of all, most Fridays off. 
If you're ready to be a part of a team fulfilling dreams through the preservation of historical aircraft, visit aircoreaviation.com slash careers and take your first step towards an exciting career in aviation. That's aircoreaviation.com slash careers. Visit today. And some of them are just not flattering at all. No, some of them are really horrible. You know, another source of call signs I've noticed is movies. Specifically, the funny movies like Super Troopers or back in the day, Animal House. So you can almost tell a person's genre, if you will, based on their call sign. Because when I first came in, probably about when you first came in as well, there was a lot of Bluto's and and Otters and whatever else from Animal House. And then lately you've got Farva. Farva's tip. Yeah. (laughs) For anyone who's seen Super Troopers and you you know the character Farva, anyone who acts like or looks like that character gets that instantly. Yeah, absolutely. So those uh, are generational things. Right. Then, then you got, uh, what was it, uh, old school. So you, if, if you, someone looks older, they're generally blue. Uh, <laughs> or uh, or Frank the Tank, you get some yeah. of those. And then uh, I even met a The Situation recently. Yeah, he's a, he's a guy up in Fallon. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Well, do call signs ever change? Uh, you know, you get a call sign from doing something dumb and unless you do something dumber, they typically don't change. <laughs> you know, you and I were pretty lucky that, uh, whatever dumb things we did, we either, uh, nobody saw or we covered them up and we stuck with uh, playing our last names. But, uh, you know, it's typically from doing something stupid. Uh, I had a guy in the squadron whose call sign was face shot and he didn't do anything dumb, but he was at a party where a, uh, a young Marine flight school, second Lieutenant, uh, thought it was cool to show everybody his pistol. Pulled it out and actually shot my friend in the face. Uh, and he left? Didn't kill him. Didn't, you know, it hurt wow. him. But uh, he had to get some fake teeth. And it went out the cheek. And, uh, you know, horrible thing real time. But years later, when you call him face shot because, you know, he got shot in the face. And survived. It's a pretty good call sign. <laughs> uh, some of them are just uh, characteristics on your personality. The, we had a guy speed bump. Uh, all he's going to do is slow you down and piss you off. <laughs> Lamb chop is a good one. Little angry man boy can't handle our program. And of okay. course, as soon as you hear that, as a as the recipient, you get angry and you you show that 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 wounds you in some way. And again, that's that's the shellac that keeps it on your call sign forever. Yeah. Well, I, I've noticed that if you get to a certain rank, apparently you can change your call sign and no one will bother you. When I was yeah, a I flight think that's student, two star admiral. Is yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I was I was a flight student, and even in my stupidity and infancy then I knew better because when the commanding general, I was in a Marine training squadron at El Toro at the time, came in and introduced himself as assassin. I just, I just knew <laughs> yeah. there was no way that dude was yes, ever sir. a young, a young <laughs> lieutenant right. or a captain in the Marine Corps in his case. Uh, with that right. time. But I'll tell you, we had a guy uh, in my department head squadron, uh, just as I was showing up who uh, landed one day and did something on the runway he wasn't supposed to do and ended up, uh, going off the runway and flipping upside down and did not eject uh, and thankfully survived and had to crawl out from under the upside down aircraft. And so his call sign changed to Sue, uh, spelled like the Japanese style. <laughs> this side up. This side, T-S-U. <laughs> yeah. And when they painted it on the aircraft, they even painted it with a little red arrow pointing up the, the, the regular appropriate <laughs> yeah. up. So <laughs> we got a good kick out of that. And he That's was funny. midway through his fighter pilot career and got his call sign changed. So... Uh, uh, that was that was that was good comedy, and and in some cases, you know, people still call them by his old call sign because again, it's just you know the yeah, guy by yeah. that. And to your point earlier, I, I think part of the reason we use call signs is because it it while 
and you talked about this, while we expect a lot from people, and if you have a fault, we're going to pick it out, I think there's a good reason for that. And the reason is, is we are in an inherently unforgiving business. Yeah. And if you can't handle it, well, then let's find out somewhere benign and safe. And, oh, by the way, me picking on you or you picking on me kind of keeps me on my toes and makes me want to be the best I can. And the byproduct of that is safety. You know, you're right. Uh, and, you, and you raise an excellent point is uh, we are not in a business where hurt feelings can can drive and emotions can make things uh Politically incorrect or unacceptable. A ready room is, you know, a place for warriors and killers. And and uh, like you said, we need to be able to handle each other in that way and and to live with it. And it, it is a great reckoning for the people who really are really really bothered by it and that can't handle that. It's almost an indicator that maybe they're not fully cut out for this business because it's it's a harsh business and and you need to be able to have thick skin. So this is in in some ways is a way that we sort of vet our own. Yeah, and by thick skin, of course, you just mean, you know, be able to take some grief from someone, give it right back, and don't let it phase you and move on because that's what we do in this business. You might have something that sets you back, but particularly if you're out over the water on the carrier, you might not have had a great flight, but you still got to be able to make it back and land. So exactly. this is almost a, uh, a warm-up for that or just a continuation of it. It does make it tough. I don't know about your personal experiences, but, you know, in my case, you know, you bring that spirit home and suddenly with a wife and kids, it's not quite the same environment. You're yeah, back. there's a transition when you walk <laughs> through the door, especially when you come back from cruise. You know, you're, uh, you got to put a filter on that's not necessarily been there for the last six, eight, ten months. Right, for sure. Well, you've already hit on a couple of them. What are some other funny call signs you've had? I, one of mine, uh, I remember, and they ended up take. so there was an era of political correctness many years ago, and I forget what drove it, but um, we had a guy in the air wing, Chad Underwood, and his call sign was nuts. And I just thought that was the funniest call sign <laughs> yeah. I'd ever seen. And you know what? Someone came along and saw his name on the side of the airplane and said, change it. Change it. Yeah. There was so, an entire know, they, air wing that, uh, on the East Coast that uh, did not put call signs on their jets for an entire cruise because a uh, flag officer said call signs are inappropriate. And typically they are. <laughs> But they're funny. But it's combat, you know? Yeah. Put, put funny names on the jets. So th- they, they changed nuts to stun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just turned it backwards. Oh, boy. And then another good one we had was a, uh, a female pilot in our squadron, or our air wing, whose uh, first name was Summer. So she got the call sign Sausage. And that was, we just laughed yeah. at that one as well. Well, but did you know, uh, did you know Frogger? Yeah, I yeah. Know Frogger. so Frogger got his when he was crossing a street in Duval after the Duval crawl. And, uh, in Key West? In Key West. And he got hit by a car, rolled over the front <laughs> windshield, the top, off the back, got up, went back into the bar. <laughs> so he was henceforth known as Frogger. With, with no permanent damage, huh? Still able to fly and uh, do I don't everything know about he wants that. to do? I, <laughs> no permanent physical damage. All right, well, the, the flight docks weren't aware. Yeah. What was the deal, though? Uh, was it while well, you were at VFC 13? We had a, a midshipman. It was. Who was uh, either from the ROTC or from the academy who came and showed up and, and midshipmen generally do they show up at squadrons in the summertime yeah. to get exposure and he climbed in the back seat for his first ever flight in the navy with sloppy i believe yeah it was and uh tell us that story and his resulting call sign if you would well his great fortune he got to come to the greatest adversary squadron of the navy which is vfc 13 and uh he was uh did his midshipman cruise where he spends about two weeks out there like you said and he gets um gets an exposure to the aviation community and he was lucky enough to uh, get a ride in the two-seat F-5 on a mission. So he got in the back of our two-seat F-5 with Sloppy. He was airborne all of 13 minutes, and they had a midair. 
another aircraft from the air wing hit them uh, just behind the midshipmen. It tore the airplane in half. They had to jump out. And um, some some tragic occurrences from that, but he was okay and Sloppy was okay. And uh, when they came back, Sloppy had given him a new call sign, which was O'Toole, spelled O-T-O-0-L for one takeoff, zero landing. <laughs> Wonder what happened to that kid. Did we, he go into aviation? Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. I saw him at the, uh, you know, he got out of the hospital the next day after observation, and I saw him at the... Um, that Mexican place in Fallon we always go to, the um, La Fiesta. La Fiesta. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, hey, thanks for being a good luck charm for my guy there. I'm glad you guys are okay. So what are you going to do now? And he said, sir. And I said, are you going to be a submarine guy, supply, surface, <laughs> what? And he goes, I'm going to be a pilot. I said, well, good for you. He went through, and he did become a pilot, and Sloppy flew out to his graduation and pinned his wings on him two years later. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's good. Well, and that's, you know, a, a wonderful story to make the point of as much grief as we give each other, we are also each other's biggest fans. Oh yeah. Because we share these incredibly difficult experiences. Uh, we live on the edge with each other and, and we experience death essentially with each other as far as observing it and sometimes each other's, which is not easy. And so that, that, that's a good ending. I appreciate the, that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great point. We, uh, it's a truly a brotherhood and as, as mean and rude as you and I may be to each other and all of our peers and colleagues, uh, these are the best friends you'll ever have for your entire life. And, and we all, you know, keep in touch and know each other till our last days. It's a great brotherhood and a great, uh, great thing to do. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your day to come and explain that. Now, yeah, thanks, Jill. Uh, you, you bet. You'd already basically said that yours is just a just a shortening of your name, so yeah. you, you you snuck past. I did sneak past and, the goalie uh, probably several times. Okay, and there's there's plenty of people that are out there like that. Uh, I've got a buddy Vern Vernalis, uh, Otter Ottinger. You yeah. know some of these guys yep. as well. So it's almost uh, if you if you see someone whose name is or call sign, I should say, is clearly a play on their name. You can almost congratulate them for, <laughs> yeah. for either not getting Staying caught off the radar. or exactly or, or yeah. not getting busted. But uh, <laughs> do appreciate uh, you taking the time. And yes, uh, what's what's next for you? Uh, well, you know, I'm uh, I'm a reservist, so I'm flying for Delta Airlines, uh, as are you now. Congratulations. Thank and, you. Uh, and I am the uh, chief staff officer of the uh, Build It Up in Fallon. That's for another year or so. And then uh, I think I'm going to do another two years after that to uh, finish out as a captain in the Navy. I'm not sure what's next. As long as it's fun, I'm going to keep doing it. When it becomes no longer fun, then I'm going to go do something else. Excellent. Any chance of jumping back in a cockpit? Uh, we shall see. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm always open to that opportunity. Yeah, for yeah, sure. There, there are very few opportunities for post-command uh, reservists to get back in the cockpit, but I'm a schemer, so I bet it happens. <laughs> well, good luck to you. I hope it does, and I uh, appreciate you being on the show today. Thanks yeah, so much. thanks. Great show. Appreciate it, y'all. Okay. Catch you later. Bye. All right. Well, that was a good time. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let me just cover a couple things that we talked about in that discussion. First off, the FIBO. Uh, so what that means is when you've got aircraft coming at each other with maybe over a thousand knots or miles an hour of closure, uh, you obviously don't want them hitting head on or really in any manner. And so one risk mitigation that we used to use was to put, as he said, the fighters. So anyone who's acting as the blue or the good guys, if you will, uh, at even altitude. So maybe 20, 22, 24,000 feet, 30, you know, et cetera. Uh, and then the adversaries that we talked about a little bit in episode one, the uh, the bad guys, the sparring partner, if you will, they will it all be at 21 and 23 and 25,000 feet. Well, 
partly due to mishaps like the one he mentioned with sloppy and a few other uh, issues that we've had. They, they changed that recently, and now they typically will take a 10,000-foot block, let's say from t- 20 to 30,000 feet, and they might give the adversaries uh, the whole bottom half and the fighters the whole top half. And, you know, it kind of makes it, uh, unfortunately, a little difficult in training to, you know, stay in your own block, as it's called. And when you get to the merge, which is the culmination of this long range, I mean, it could start out of 100 miles or more. And finally, when that distance between you is zero, you know, you could be up to four or 5,000 feet apart. And it makes it sometimes very difficult to get a tally, which just means you see the uh, the bad guy in that case. Uh, but the alternative is obviously much worse, and that is that uh, you crash airplanes and kill people. So uh, that's what he meant with FIBO. And then flag officer was a term I think we threw out at one point. That is just someone who has attained the rank of admiral or general. And I guess it's so-called because... Typically, wherever they go, their base, their little ship, uh, in the case of their personal vessels, or even the big ships, for that matter, uh, and their residences, et cetera, will have a a flag. In the case of the Navy, it's just a blue flag with a white star for every rank of theirs. So if they're a one-star rear admiral, they have, you know, one white star. Uh, I think Marine Corps uses uh, red flags, and, you know, so a lieutenant general would have three stars on his, and uh, that's hence the term flag officer. And then the midshipman summer exposure, if you will, uh, again, just to expand on that a little bit, that is simply the training that the midshipmen do, whether they're from the Naval Academy or the ROTC, uh, just to give them some exposure to the real fleet, because otherwise they're just stuck away at college all the time. So in the summertime, some lucky ones, uh, in my opinion, will get to go to squadrons, uh, as did O'Toole. Some will go to ships in submarines, and others will go to various uh, other training. Uh, when I was a midshipman at UCLA, I got to do a three-week Navy SEAL appreciation training, and I knew I wanted to be a pilot, but uh, we had a very strong character uh, at the unit at the time who's now, I think, the head guy of all the SEALs here in Coronado. Uh, and he, you know, I don't, he didn't know my name as Jello at the time, but just, you know, to make the point, like, Jello, you, you know, insert bad word here, you such and such, you go to that midshipman SEAL training and see if you like it. So I went and uh, I at least survived that, thank goodness. But I uh, I came away with that with a tremendous respect for the SEALs, but uh, reaffirmed in my decision that I wanted to be a pilot. So uh, those guys are amazing, but uh, I, I did not want to do it after that. So anyway, midshipman training is just something you do to expose, get exposed, I should say, to uh, different communities uh, in the Navy specifically. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap it up for this episode. As before, this is probably a good time to state that the views expressed in this presentation are the personal views of myself and my guest and do not necessarily represent the position of the Department of Defense or its components. And I hope you appreciate the show. If you do, uh, let us know, please. Uh, We're on Facebook and iTunes and, golly, where are we? Uh, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. So join in the discussion. Come on board, like, follow, share, help us build this thing because the bigger it gets, the more likely we can maybe grab some sponsors and get better recording equipment so your ears don't hurt so much. And uh, who knows where we're going to go with this thing, but if you've got ideas, questions, feedback, anything, shoot it to us. Uh, you can hit us on email. If you don't use the social media, of course, there's all those ways too, but uh, we do have email. It's questions at fighterpilotpodcast.com. Or you can hit us at our listener line, which is 877-MOCK-101. That's 877-622-4101. 
And we do want to hear from you. So uh, please jump in and uh, let us know what you want to hear and what you like and what you don't like. All right. Well, that's going to do it for episode two. Uh, Tune back in in a couple weeks. We'll get episode three out there for you. And we hope you enjoy it. All right. Take care. Thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran.